Hi, welcome to the Mamas Know Best, We Got Something to Say podcast. For months, we take time to prepare and educate ourselves on this new adventure of motherhood. But as we all know, once the baby is born, we're still left with so many questions and need all the help we can get. Women really should have a sense of empowerment as they begin to experience these life-changing moments. And no one mother has it all figured out. However, the more informed we are, the better decisions we can make that will positively affect us and our family. And that's what this podcast is about. Sharing honest, raw, and real conversations about motherhood, life, and all of the crazy, messy, beautiful in-betweens to hopefully educate, empower, and support the next mother on her motherhood journey. So sit back and enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Mamas Know Best. We got something to say podcast. I am on with a very special guest. This is Casey McGovern, who is the founder of the McGovern Foundation, a local nonprofit organization that focuses on drowning prevention, education, and bereavement services. Casey brings a unique perspective to the work she does. Being a mother of a drowning victim, her daughter Edna May passed away after a drowning incident in their backyard pool. Casey immediately knew she needed to help other families never experience the same heartache as their family did. Casey immediately plugged herself into the community, educating caregivers all over the South Florida area. In 2014, she accepted a position with the Florida Department of Health as a Drowning Prevention Program Manager, where she spent the last seven years leading all efforts related to drowning prevention. Casey felt a nudge on her heart to go back to her roots and this past summer dove back into working for their family nonprofit organization, the McGovern Foundation. She felt she needed to do more and not be limited by the bureaucracy of government work. Her goal is to reach the entire state with the education that is so desperately needed. If you didn't know, drowning is the number one cause of death for children one to four years of age, and there is no, and there's so much more that we can do to change this. Drowning is preventable. Casey's mission is raising awareness with, of drowning prevention, one family at a time, sharing hope with families struggling through tragedies. Casey, it is an honor to have you on. First off, my condolences, and I know we're going to tap into all of that, but why don't you tell my listeners a little bit more about you before we get into the meat and potatoes of your foundation and, and all of that. Absolutely. Thank you, first and foremost, for having me. Thank you for seeing the need of educating your listeners. I feel like knowledge is power. And the more we educate anybody we can on the risk factors and what we could do to prevent such a tragic incident from happening to their families, then that's what we need to do. So I do uh, thank you for the time. My name is Casey. I am a mother of four. When the incident happened, I was a mother of three girls and Edna May was our youngest. And soon after her death, we decided to have another child. And we also have a son that we added to our family. I'm just a busy mom, but I am fighting to bring about change. I'm fighting to bring more awareness to the drowning topic. It's such a taboo, tough topic to, to breach with so many, but I feel like it's necessary. And I'm just leading by my heart and talking to whoever I can and educating whoever I can to stop this tragedy from happening. Absolutely. Tell me the ages of all of your children. 22 actually next week or the yeah Allie's going to be actually 23 on the 16th of November wow Um, I did not think you were going to have a 22 year old awesome yeah yeah Yeah. I am going to be 47 myself so I had a young one but um, absolutely same age as she is because she actually just became a new mom herself so yeah also your grandma oh congratulations yes as of August 26th we became grandparents So such a blessing. We have a 15 year old 
And M would actually be turning 14 right now. So she would be 13. And then Ryder is 11. Okay. So I have four children and um, just differently. I still refer to myself as a mother of four, just yeah. different ages and different ways. But yeah, ranging from 22 to 11. So it's a wide span. So a lot of yes. different things going on in our household. That's for sure. Yeah. I usually ask the moms that come on that have that. Cause I know I say this all the time. My listeners must be like, I know we get it, but I am. I'm so fascinated with the veteran moms or the moms who are mothering or being parents. So, because, you know, we're in, in the twenties or well, she's 22. So, okay. Yeah. The 2000 area, that, that generation Absolutely. of the 2000 is different. And the 11 showed such a different thing, but I know we're here to talk about your foundation. And I really want to dive into that because to your point, it is such an important important topic. And the fact that it's the number one cause of death between young children is mind boggling. What's crazy is I actually just read an article today about two young toddlers. I think they were siblings, two and three. They were with their grandmother who was, I don't know if she was cleaning or doing work on a house and they wandered off from the house mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. the neighbor's house or whatever, and tragically drowned in that pool. So I was like, goodness gracious, but let's go to Edna May. So when she passed, first off, say again, how old she was and how many years ago was this? She was 19 months of age when she passed away and it happened 12 years ago, August 3rd, 2009. So it was 12 years ago. And again, when this stuff happens or when you discuss certain life events, you could go back to it in a second, you know, anytime things like that happen. And so to go back to the story that you shared just a moment ago, I know of that story as well. And it's very similar to our story where the grandmother had them on like a patio with screened in patio and thinking that they were okay, because that's probably what they did every day. They had all their toys there, but that one chance where they must've just opened up the screen or might've had a hole in that screen and they were able to escape. So my message that I've been screaming since day one is always check the water first, because in our situation, what happened was we were all in the pool that afternoon and spent the day in the pool. It was a random day, how it happened. My husband came home from work um, unexpectedly from work that day. So we all decided to like use the best of the time. It's the last few days of summer. Let's all just get in the pool. So that's what we did. And unfortunately with us getting out staggered, we left that gate open and we didn't have a self-closing self-latching gate that they have nowadays. 12 years ago, technology has changed even in that realm. We left the gate open. We go inside or I go inside first with them, put her down for a nap. My husband and the other um, kiddos come inside after, and I go to the grocery store to get a few groceries just for dinner that night, not too much. So I go to the grocery store, come back. She met me in my family room. And as I come in through the garage and I put her in the little chair, like in a little glider chair in front of the TV on the opposite side of the kitchen counter, as I put groceries away. And it was just like something normal, you know, as a busy mom, as you have a 19 month old, a three-year-old, 11 year old at home, you just multitask. And putting my groceries away, my husband called me in the other room to ask me a question because at the same time, a gentleman came over to do an interview with him. And so it was a little busier than normal. So I walked away from her. But again, it wasn't out of the ordinary. It wasn't anything like I'm going to leave for whatever. He asked me the question. I walked back and she Mm -hmm. wasn't where I left her. So I assumed, okay, let me put my eyes on her. But I wasn't alarmed. I wasn't nervous. I wasn't scared. I wasn't nothing thought nothing on my radar to be alarmed with. So what I did was I went bedroom to bedroom looking for her. And when I did that, I didn't see her. I didn't see her in there. I went outside. As I looked outside, I even went past the pool. I remember it so vividly. 
because we had this little swing set area that she really enjoyed until I caught the glimpse of our daughter floating in our pool. And I just ran around the fence and jumped in and grabbed her and held her. I didn't think about starting CPR. I didn't think about, you know, doing anything to help her at that point, other than just screaming to God, like help me because it was just absolutely the worst nightmare. And thankfully, because of my screams, my husband came running out and he said that it was a scream he never heard. So he knew he better get moving. So he comes running out. He jumps in the pool and takes her from me. And thankfully he did, because what he did was he put her on the coping of the pool, which is the side of the pool and started CPR immediately. And what that did was it allowed him to start the CPR and it gave us a week. She didn't come back to us, but she was able to be at the hospital for a week. The incident happened on a Monday and we had to say goodbye to her and walk away from her on the following Monday. And what that did was it gave us time to process what happened gave us time to learn about the drowning problem. It gave us time to say our goodbyes and sleep in bed with her and change her and take care of her in those last days. And that was truly such a gift. And that was only because of him starting CPR when he did to allow us that week, because unfortunately seconds matter and she was just under there too long. And so going back to the story of the grandmother that lost her grandchildren just this past week and in Florida, check the water first. Because if they're in the home, they may be causing havoc. They may be painting on the walls or getting into something. But if they're near any body of water, seconds are crucial to get to them. And so that's what my message from day one has been is always check the water first. Because if, and I don't want to live in the if piece, but sure, if I would have went to that water area, maybe our outcome would have been differently. We don't know. And I'm okay with that at this point. And I've accepted what happened. But what if one parent has the same exact situation happens and they check the water first and they have a full recovery because of it? That's what I want parents to understand and know. Oh, gosh. So first off, and I don't know how you were able to do that without getting emotional to have the strength radiate from you. I know I had shared with you that I had a a scare with my son. And it took me to that point because yes, he was underwater. And thankfully we were right there, but I didn't know how long he had been under the water for. And we were all hanging out and we're going to go back to Edna May, please. But it just brought me there. My cousin was with him at the shallow end of the pool, decided to go to the deep end with his daughter who can swim, left my son. We're feet away. It's 4th of July barbecue. And when I turned, I just saw my son underwater trying to tread who, gosh, she had just turned three or was about to turn three. And I immediately started screaming and jumped in because again, I didn't know. I mean, thankfully, by the time we took him out, he was okay, but I didn't know. And that was the scariest day of my life. So I have so many questions. Gosh. So when that happened with Edna May and obviously unspeakable tragedy. What was that grieving loss and that grieving period for you, for your family, for the siblings, for your husband? What did you guys do as a family to get through that? Thankfully, we were able to have a support system of our church in our family and our community came and surrounded us because Shannon and I both didn't leave her side. We didn't leave the PICU unit of the hospital for the entire week. So we had wonderful family that came in and helped care for our three-year-old, which was Taylor and Allie, who was 11. So we didn't have to worry. They brought us food. They allowed us to just process it. But I remember at one point when she had an EEG done, which showed the activity of her brain. They, They brought us in a room, just my husband and I, and they told us the news that no parent wants to hear. There's nothing that they could do. There is no activity 
And this is it. And so they gave us that. They allowed us the time to process it by ourselves because we did thankfully have a really beautiful community that came around and, and supported us. But we soon had to tell our daughter, more mm. so Allie, because Allie was 11. Allie understood. Allie was angry because she wasn't allowed to be at the hospital that often because it was too much for her to be there. You know, sure. that's how we felt as parents. And our three-year-old didn't understand what was happening. Like she just, you know, wanted to just play with a friend. So that's what she did. And she didn't understand. But with our 11-year-old, I remember sitting right outside of the PICU and, and my husband and I were there. And he said something that was so wonderful. She says, what's going to happen to us? It's going to happen to our family. You know, being 11-year-old, what's going to happen to us? And he says, we're going to be broken. We're probably always going to be broken, but we're going to be okay. We're still a family. And it was so good because I didn't have the words, but he did. And I think that was something that was so powerful because that's how we've been for 12 years. We're broken. We're always going to be broken. And once we recognize that void is always going to be there, we took on a whole nother level of being healthier for our sure. kids, being healthier as individuals. Because at first when I lost M, we wanted to have another child right away. And it was, a, it's not to replace them because nothing's going to replace them. But it was like, we just needed something good. We just needed something good to come from this tragedy. We needed something to look forward to, if that makes sense. We did that. And then after Ryder was born, I had this urge to like have another baby. But what happened with that is I miscarried at 16 weeks. And what was so interesting was I like had an epiphany that I kept trying to fill that void of M. And that's what I was doing with that, with my fifth child was filling that void. And I, once I recognized what I was trying to do, that void's always going to be there and there's nothing that's ever going to fill it. It was like, wow, it just took everything away. It took that pain away. And I just have to learn to work around that void that's going to yeah. be there. You know what I mean? And working through it because you're always, you're always going to have it. Anybody that lo- loses a child, it's not supposed to be, but you're not supposed to be stuck either. And so that's what I really want to encourage through our foundation is for parents to realize that it's okay to feel all the feels, to feel all the brokenness, to feel and go through these processes, but don't get stuck. Don't get bitter. You got to look for that beauty. You got to look for that flower outside. You got to look for that rainbow. You have to look for things maybe a little harder than you normally would, but they're there. That has been our mission from day one is just for parents to understand or people to understand that tragedies happen. Pain's going to come with all of us at different points, but just to see that beauty and see those little pieces and grab us for us to hold on to those 19 months that we had her. It's incredible. Oh gosh. Yeah. I think what your husband said was so poignant because in any tragedy, and I, I would imagine now, yes, being a parent, that's the, the top losing a child because to your point, yes, it's not supposed to be right. And that pain, but, and not surrender. And I don't know if that's the right word, but almost say, yes, we are. Because if we run from it or try and run from it or hold it inside or act like it didn't happen or whatever it is and not take that in and say, yeah, no, this is, it's going to be painful and we are going to be broken and may never heal from that, but we're a family and we'll get through it, I think is just wow. And I'm sure at that time, something that's okay. Yeah. Putting that into perspective for you all. It, yeah. I'm, I'm sure it did wonders. Okay. So, and and it's crazy. Yeah, it is. And I always say when I talk with people, it's like, 
this was 12 years ago and obviously saying it and, and I'm sure um, and as you said you can see it like as if it was yesterday but I know so much has happened since then and I know like you said your church you had to really dig deep and rely on your faith was there a turning point or with your other children do you think that also helped give you the strength to move forward in knowing I have these other children here that need me that push me I've dealt with a lot of death in my family Thankfully, nothing as close as an immediate family member, but grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins that were pretty close to me. So it's been around since I'm a very little girl. I've seen people grieve who, let's say it was their mother or their child. And they've said, you know, having other children, having to be able to go through that, because I'm sure even though you knew that, yes, we're going to be broken and you're like, we could get through this. There was still the grieving process there. So what was that like with your other children? What did you guys rely on? Because that is heavy for them. I'm sure your 11-year-old, that's heavy to have to deal with that, to understand that. Talk a little bit about that. And then I want to go into the prevention and, mm-hmm. and things like that. We had to, just like what you said, as far as a loss is a loss. And especially when you love somebody, it's always yeah. painful. So I did lose my mother when I was pregnant for M, And that's where she got her name from. So I was eight months pregnant for M when my mom passed. My mother passed away on November 17th. 2007 and was born December 29th, 2007. And so that's where she got her name from. And I believe that my faith was not as strong. And this is an interesting piece. If you want to bring in the faith component, because I don't, uh, now I look back and if I would have lost my daughter before I lost my mom, I probably wouldn't have been the same individual. I probably wouldn't have been such a strong advocate to bring about change because what I always did as a daughter of a person that just walked the walk. She was the most spiritual person I've ever met in my entire life, even to this day. And she prayed for me when I was happy. You know, when I was sad, she was my go-to. She was my foundation. She was my rock. And when I lost her, I had nobody else to turn to, but God, that was when I had to stand on my own two feet and I had to build my own faith and have my own walk. My mom's loss prepared me for M's loss so that I was able to be a little healthier of an individual when the time came when I lost M, because I don't know if I would have been able to get through M's death without having my own relationship, if that makes sense. Oh, hundred percent. And so that's like my faith kind of component. And I do believe that certain things happen for a reason. I hate to think that my mom had to die in order for this, Sure. but there's a purpose for everything. And M was supposed to be here and my mom was, it was just always supposed to happen. But after Jim passed away, we did get ourselves poured into our church even more. So Taylor wasn't in school, who was our three-year-old, but Allie was, and she went to our church she went to school there. And so she was surrounded by a lot of love. We did a grief share program within the church. It helped just understanding the grief process. We didn't necessarily relate to a lot of people because unfortunately, when we did the grief share program, there was just a lot of widows there and older women that lost. So for my 11 year old and my husband specifically to feel like they connected or opened up was something that didn't, we didn't do. And when I also look back about the grieving process, I don't know if we did it right. (laughs) I immediately poured myself into the work. I immediately poured myself into sharing the story wherever I could to educate others, to do whatever I could. And my husband went back to work and buried his 
if that makes sense. Of course. Yeah. And I don't feel that we did everything the right way in any capacity, but I felt like as long as we were getting up out of bed and we were having nice meals and we were getting dressed and we were doing what we were supposed to do, this is it. And so that's another thing that why I feel so strongly about implementing the bereavement component, because we were ones that said, well, as long as we're doing these things, we're all right. Everything's fine. We're getting up. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that counseling is imperative because what's going to happen is just like what you said earlier, if you don't deal with it, if you don't process it, if you try to just act like it's there, but just go on and you don't really fully allow the grief process to happen, it'll come bubbling up after whether you're ready or whether you want it to or not. And that's what we've had happen throughout our life at different points. And I think that the grief process is one that's probably going to be a lifelong grief process. As long as you're learning through it and learning as you can, then that's all you can do. I don't think there's any perfect scenario, but if you have to cry, have a cry. If you want to talk to her, have it. Like I want people to remember M because she lived. I want people to remember my mom because she lived. They both deserve to be remembered. Anybody that you love that you've lost, instead of putting them in the box because it's too painful, because you don't really want to bring out that hurt, you're afraid of bringing up somebody that would upset them. Well, guess what? They're, they're already thinking about those people that they love. With you bringing it up, it's just going to remind them that you care about them and that you love them and you remember them by sharing like one of their favorite meals, sharing like little thoughts is what it's about. So the healing process for our family was a little unique and a little different and definitely not the best. But now 12 years later, after going to therapy, I think that we're ready to just move forward and we're ready to just help others to let them see like things that we might've done wrong maybe, or just differently that would have helped if we would have done it differently. So I think that we're just here to just listen and be, and hopefully relate to other parents. You don't know until you know, and unfortunately this horrible, speakable unimaginable tragedy that no one would wish on anybody. Yeah. You're trying to figure it out to your point. Yeah. You did the best that you had and could with it. And the fact that you were able to dive in and help others. I'm all about service. When I was in seventh grade, I won the service award and I still look back. I'm like, gosh, so I've always (laughs) been about helping others for sure. But I don't even know if I would have the wherewithal or the thing at that moment to think of, okay, I have to prevent this from someone else. I would like to think I would just because it's innate in me. It's why I do this podcast to bring resources out, but I don't know. So the fact that you had that to immediately say, okay, I want to dive in and have her be remembered and make sure that this doesn't happen again is tremendous. Now, let me ask, were you always in Florida? Were you in Florida during this time? Actually, yeah, born and raised, born and raised here. Okay, so now let's go to safety measures. So you said you had the gate and the gate and lunch. And I've had those moments too, where sometimes I'll forget and I'll be like, oh, shoot, you have to, to lock it. Were you even aware of any drowning prevention back then? What did you have? What did you know? What did you think was considered safe? Tell me about that, the misconceptions of what people think and maybe what you had even thought back then about, oh, we're okay. First and foremost, I never thought about our pool as a hazard. I never thought of a drowning. Like I never thought like that great big, huge body of water in your backyard could be Mm -hmm. a hazard. We did have the gate because that was one thing that my mother was adamant about. And it was so interesting because you bought this house, you have to have the gate. You have to have the gate. And that was before even insurances mandated it. So it was interesting that she was push, push and that we have to have this gate. So we did the gate. But what was so interesting when I look back at different things is Allie learned to swim on her own. Like I got her in a couple of classes when she was a baby 
And when the instructor had me dunk her down underneath the water, I was like, I quit. I quit. I'm out. I can't do that to my baby. There's no way. So I'm out. So then Taylor and M were back-to-back babies in essence. They were close in age, 15 15 months apart. I thought, okay, we'll get them going swimming. And my husband's from Vermont, but very strong swimmer. He only went swimming seasonal, but incredible swimmer. So our family unit was pretty much dinners by the pool and every night in the pool. After work, we would just, that's what we did. And so what we did though, was we put floaties on our little girls and we thought there was nothing wrong with it. I remember like taking pictures and videos of them in the deep end of the pool, wearing their floaties. Look how well they're swimming. I was just so naive. I had no clue. And I never really thought about it. Talked about swim lessons, but I thought they were too young. And also with my husband working all the time, who was going to hold M when I did Taylor and Taylor was, you know, when you have two young children. So it was always a thought. I always had all these excuses, like I want to do this, but I want to do this, but, and so I never put it as a huge priority and I just didn't really think about it. And I really thought when they put those floaties on, they're in the deep end. Look how well they're doing. Meanwhile, the moment those floaties come off, a tragedy is going to occur. And it did, you know, and that day brought me her floaties. She wasn't speaking, but she was like, and gave me her floaties. And I said, not right now in a little bit, but maybe she wanted to get that ball in the pool. Who knows? And that gate was open and everything lined up just perfectly. I think that knowledge is huge. Knowledge of the hazards to go into your first level of prevention and, and what parents should have is first and foremost, knowledge of the hazards. All it takes is two inches of water for a drowning to occur. So even like a large dog dish that you may have in your home for a crawling baby could be a hazard. And that's something that's interesting. The bath, the bathtub is huge. If you were to, you know, start the bath, first and foremost, never, ever leave a child in the bathtub, even for a second, make sure you have everything there. If you forgot the towel, if you forgot your phone, you forgot whatever it may be, take that baby sopping out wet and then bring them. And then when you are done with bath time, make sure that the no, no washcloths get stuck. So that water drains completely, because again, Babies are drawn to water and they're top heavy. So they may reach down into these positions and not be able to fully push themselves out of that environment. The toilets are also another factor where, again, their heads weigh more than the rest of their bodies and they can't push themselves out of it. Throughout the years of my time at the health department, I reviewed all child deaths. We've had a lot of different bathtub incidences, had a lot of toilets. We've had five gallon buckets, like mop buckets. Children are drawn to the water, whether it's dirty water or beautiful water, they're drawn to it. So they get themselves splish splashing and they can't push themselves out of it. So just the knowledge of anything around your home that may be two inches or more, making sure that you put layers in between them so that the children can't get to them or have access to that. That's the first piece. If you want me to keep going, I'll go. Well, actually, I do have a question before you go. So my son is four and he's our only one. And to be honest, we are at the age where... I could leave him in the bath for a little bit if he's playing superheroes and I'll be in the kitchen. And thankfully, he's at that age where he's very vocal. So I hear him going, pow, pow, you have a boy. So I'm sure superheroes Mm -hmm. and things. So the minute I hear quiet, I run in and he's still playing or he's just whatever. And at that point, I had turned the water off. So there's a little bit. But what is that age? Because, yes, he's strong. If he puts his head under or whatever. My thing is, there's a couple of times I've caught him because he does do swimming classes where he'll blow bubbles. So sometimes he has his head under. So I started thinking of that. I'm like, gosh, what if one time he just puts his head under thinking he's like going to hold his breath? I don't know. So then I started getting anxiety about that of like leaving him for a minute or two. And my husband's, oh, but he's older. So my question to you is what 
is that age limit to leave them in the bathtub for that? Yeah, that's a tough one. That is really a tough one because again, with reviewing deaths in the past, there have been a circumstance where, and it's, it's random, but again, I feel like in any of these situations, what we're doing is we're playing Russian roulette. You know, you just Mm. never know this wasn't supposed to happen, but it did. You know what I mean? So no, for sure. They have, they might've had a seizure. Or they may have stood up for a second. Yeah, and slipped. And like little things where it may happen or this may happen. Who knows? Yeah. So I don't know how I would feel with that. And I wouldn't want to give advice with what works in your home may be different from somebody else. Mm-hmm. I just think that when it comes to water, it could be life and death within seconds. Yeah. And you just have to be very aware of that and very careful with that. So making sure the amount of water, making sure you have conversations where you always stay seated. You don't do these, don't reach over to do this because if you have these conversations and if your kitchen, you're like, are you okay? As long as he's answering you every few seconds, then you know to go running if nothing, you know what I mean? So I don't want to be this alarmist, making everybody full of anxiety all the time, but just knowledge of how fast things happen. It's just all I want parents to understand. Like you still have to live. You still have to be like everybody says at different points as well drinking in by the pool. Well, they go hand in hand in some capacity too. So as long as you're still responsible and you're still doing things, the right thing, because it's always like sober, capable supervision. Yes. I understand that. But most responsible adults that have children are not going to get out of hammered and out of control. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that there's in your home, you know, what your limits are, you know, maybe at one point have a conversation with him just to reiterate a couple of times, make sure you always stay seated. If you need something, or if you want to turn the water back on, or if you want to do these things, just let mommy or daddy know to have these conversations with them because at four years old, they completely can understand those things. You know, and they want, and they do want to play in there. And I do understand that piece of it, but I was a little bit more, you know, alarmed because something that wasn't supposed to happen, happened to me. It's crazy because you said the word Russian roulette. And I'm like, to me, I think, and we'll go back into the drowning prevention stuff. Cause I know you had other stuff you worked for the, the state, right? The state department. Well, I worked for Broward County, but I worked in the state. Yeah. Florida yes. Department of health is a state run agency. So we're going to get back into that, but it's so crazy that you say that because It's funny. I I think of that. I think that's, to me, the most difficult thing about being a parent is because you have to make these decisions all day long that could possibly be when you hear things later on. Oh, wow. That could have been a life or death moment. My my mom always jokes. So we went on a cruise back in like 1998. I think I was like 14 or something like that. And she let us roam the ship. And I was 14. My sister was six. You know, she ran to get ice cream, but someone could have snatched her. But my mom always says when we came back, I think right after they had heard that someone was kidnapped or was missing from a cruise. And my mom was like, oh, my gosh. And to this day, she said that she's I don't know how I didn't think that I could let your six year old sister run to get ice cream that she couldn't slip and fall into the pool. All these little things after the fact. So you saying that I'm like, I think as a parent, that's what we do, because we're like, but he should be okay for the two seconds. But to your point, even if he does fall and stands up for that brief second, it might not be a drawing. But what if he does hit his head in a spot? It's like all these things. And I think that's the tough part about parenting, because you don't know, and you work with what you got, and and you hope and pray, but they could be life or death moments. So I just felt because I'm like, yeah, because you do you make decisions. And you're like, oh, no, that should be fine. And then you hear another story of this and you're like, oh, my gosh, I didn't think yeah. about that. The fact that you said mop buckets, the fact that two inches of water, it's just mind blowing to me. But it makes sense. Mm-hmm. It makes sense if a little crawling baby goes for two seconds and you think, oh, I'll be running into my bedroom. And within those 
moments, something tragic could have happened. Yeah. Time and time again, those are the stories that I've heard. It's just, you don't think. And I think that going back to like, even the healing process with something that's preventable and something that is so hard to hear, there's a guilt that's associated with it as well. So not many parents want to come forward and talk about it because this was a preventable death. If we would have done this, if the supervision was there. And when I first started with the health department, I was working part on the death review. We review all the deaths and my sister used to get so mad at me because what she used to say to me is, because I said, drowning is a form of neglect. And she's like, oh, I hate that. It is not. And I go, well, Carrie, if my eyes were on her, that would not have happened. It's a piece of it where it is a form of neglect. If the supervision was there, it would not have happened. And yeah. so I think that the guilt that's associated with it, when you, when a drowning occurs and you happen to read comments on the news and stuff, parents are crucified, like crucified yes. where, how could that happen to them? How could that happen to them? And so I feel like also putting our dirty laundry out there or showing things that might've been probably not the best. Or I feel like it's just going to help. It's going to help yeah. other people get over the stigma. It's going to help people realize that. Drownings do happen to great parents. It's just playing Russian roulette, just not knowing, having that knowledge um, of the risk factors because we are all doing it. At one point, I also know that unsafe sleep is the number one cause of death for children one and under. Mm -hmm. So again, when I think back about what I did from my 22-year-old and writer, I used to put them to bed with the bouncer (laughs) fluffy things and like the cutest, most frilly bedding I could find. (laughs) I didn't know, like they could have suffocated. Cause I'm telling you that is there's hundreds of thousands of kids That's that have crazy. passed away to that. And again, it's just that I didn't, my child didn't pass away to that, but she, she passed away to this. And those parents were really like, you know, all I did was buy this beautiful bedding set and she suffocated yeah. or he suffocated on that. And again, it's just sharing that knowledge and those little nuggets that you might not have thought about before to help other people now. And, and I think that's a perfect example with that because maybe there was shame with that. Did I cause this with the ones that say with buying the bedding or not knowing? So you don't hear it as often. So then people aren't hearing. I think now one of the beautiful things about social media and things like this is we can have these stories come out and we can hear more about it. On the flip side, I think it's another thing to add to the worry because yeah, then the anxiety comes and you're like this and you're worrying. So you've got to find that balance for sure. Are there any other preventable things or anything else that you wanted to talk about regarding anything? I just would want to break it down on a very simple piece so that parents mm-hmm. can under- understand. And supervision is absolutely core when you're near any body of water in any capacity. But if you're in the home and you're loading your dishwasher or loading your or your dryer or helping another one of your chi- children with homework, and Johnny's happen to sitting, be, be sitting on that iPad and you feel like you have a few minutes or you go jump in a shower because he's on the iPad or watching a movie or something like that. My suggestion would be always having door chimes on all of your doors leading outdoors. Mm. And the door chimes can be purchased for $10 or under for a two pack. Our water safety kits that we have now actually include the door chimes in them. So the door chimes, no matter where you are in the home, they'll alert you. It is very loud and it is pretty annoying. But again, it's just another measure that if by chance you cannot keep your eyes strictly on your children within your home, which the majority of the drownings occur are when mom and dad are both home present and you're distracted, whether it be on a Zoom call, taking a shower, loading the dishwasher, and you're distracted and they sneak out of the home unnoticed. And most of the times that the children are found fully clothed in the pool. And so again, supervision, 
The first layer of protection would be the door chime. If they breach that door chime or that through that door, then the, the fencing has to come into place because all that's doing, it's nobody's going to drown proof and it's not going to be a fix, but then the fencing will just buy you a little more time. Sure. And again, if they breach that, or if you don't have a fence, then at least teach them the basics to swim so that they know the repetition of getting back to the wall and they could shoot you to the steps or float until help arrives. And then last but not least, if all of those are breached and all of those have been compromised, no CPR. Because again, uh, the chances of survival go up to about 80% if a bystander starts CPR immediately. And so it's supervision, door chimes, fencing, teaching them to swim early, and then CPR. So it's just five things, like as far as like just simple little things that we could do to implement, especially when we have children under the age of five. What about canals and things like that? I would stay away from them. We have one in our backyard. I don't know, maybe 20 feet from our home. I would definitely have door chimes put Mm -hmm. on the doors. And I know that a lot of people have the alarm system that say door open, door open. Yeah. But you get complacent. So on the high traffic areas or the ones that they could easily open, which again, an M situation, she was never able to open that slider door ever until that one day. So she She opened up the slider door. Yeah, there was no way that it could have been left open otherwise. So it was just one of those things and was just enough for her to get through. And she could have just pushed it with her hands. But again, she had never done that before. So it's one of those weird situations where they've never done this, but all of a sudden one day they can. When you have children five and under specifically, because I don't think that they have the cause and effect built in. They don't understand. If I go here, this may happen. They don't really understand it fully. I think I would have the door chime on because what that will do is alert you the second that door opens. You could also have conversations with them starting early by saying the water is fun, water is enjoyable, but you always have to have mom and dad or caregiver or grandma, grandpa with you when you go near it. You don't want to say that something bad could happen, but just to sit, let them know that you can't come near there unless you can't cross this line unless, you know, unless mom and dad or somebody's with you at this point yeah. and start talking about that early and the repetition of discussing it. My son who's 11 doesn't go in the pool without my supervision. Actually, that's a good question. What was that like going from that? You have your son. How did everything change with water prevention? I'm assuming you did the same steps <laughs> that you're telling oh, us. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I hated the water at first. Of course, I didn't want anything to do with the water, but my husband was adamant that our three-year-old got into lessons immediately after, and she learned almost immediately how to swim by just almost every day getting in there. And then Ryder, we started by his first birthday. And again, we were in there all the time. Not me, my husband was. I had a very unhealthy relationship with water in the beginning, but we knew that it had to be done. And so he was swimming the width of our pool, like motorboat kicking by his first birthday. Like he was able to just like power kick by that point. And now he's on the pre-swim team and he's enjoying it immensely. But again, knowledge is power and we learn to do that. I actually was not a strong swimmer myself. I was a doggy paddler type of swimmer. My mom worked so much that I could say that I never remembered my mother in the pool in any capacity. So I didn't grow up being overly comfortable. We, yeah. I was in there, but I was that mom that would sit on the steps or on a float and never went swimming. But when I turned 40, I decided, you know what? I'm going to learn. And I took wow. lessons. And Good I took lessons. I was that person that was next to the two and three-year-olds swimming. They were swimming better than I was. Now it's just a healthy relationship that we all have. We all have a healthy relationship. We swim laps. We're able to do these different strokes. It's competitive. It's a fun activity for all of us to have. But my 15-year-old and my 11-year-old do not get in the pool without my supervision. 
Really, even your 15 year old, I guess, to your point, what if they slip? What if they hurt themselves? Is that why? Or do you think it's just more of something that you've just ingrained and you're just, I just think there has to be supervision. Swimming with a buddy is one piece, but I think supervision is crucial. You never know when something's going to happen. And teenagers tend to play games like the long breath holding games. And there's a lot of drowning incidences that happen where they long breath hold. And next thing you know, they faint underwater and they don't come up. That's our protocol where you have to wait till somebody's out there to supervise you because they could bump their head. They could whatever it may be. And it's not worth that piece of it. It's a healthy balance, just like with anything. One of my friends said to me, when are you going to stop watching them? I said, I don't know. You know, you you have to do what's right for your family. And at this point, I think that supervising them is imperative. There's been too many stories that I've heard of teenagers drowning because of this and this. I'm sure to you, you could say the next person that asked and say when they're out of my home. Yeah, exactly. Taylor goes to um, friends' houses and they do pool, but we have the water safety discussion. We have the talk, making sure that she's the responsible party. Rough housing has to be at like somewhat of a minimal or just try to be that responsible friend that you're looking out for your friends and different pieces. There's a lot of different bullet points. And I know I could talk all day long about water safety. It's crazy, but I feel like another piece is for example, a party and you're all together at a pool party. And what happens is that's when a lot of parents are congregating and visiting and talking and watching the water, but not really watching the water. In essence, they feel like they are, but they're really not drowning is silent. And it's very quick. It usually happens without a splash or a scream. And one thing I want parents to understand is to teach their children, if by chance your Johnny, let's say, goes in the water, but his friend Sally is not a very strong swimmer and she gets past her comfort level or her ability or can't touch, what she's going to do is she's immediately going to swim up to Johnny and she's going to use Johnny as a ladder crawling up him. And what she's going to do is pull Johnny down because she's using him as a ladder for him to help her. What Johnny should do and what parents I wish they would talk to their kids about is get underneath the water to swim. Because the moment Johnny goes under the water, what's going to happen is she's going to let go. He's going to be able to swim to safety and yell for help or get a noodle or get a parent to say, hey, she's in trouble, get her. So what happens is there's double drowning sometimes because they don't really know how to respond. They get into stress. They don't know what to do. That's just another little tip that parents could really think about when they're at a pool party and making sure that somebody is that designated person and you take turns to watch the kids because it is quiet and it could go, they could go under without somebody even hearing it or knowing. My situation with my son, that was the same thing. And there was one, there were six of us, I don't know, three feet away from the pool. I didn't hear anything. I just happened to look over because to your point, yeah, I'm like, oh, I'm kind of checking. I knew he was with my cousin. They know my cousin went to the deep end and there was a ball and my son went for it and I just see, and we were all there. And to this day, I still think about that. I'm like, that's crazy to me. After that, finding out things, okay, there's a party and seeing what recommendations are. And they do say to have a designated water watcher. And I was like, oh gosh. And in hindsight, my mom, because we spoke about this, she happened to be inside the house when this happened, but she heard me screaming. And she's like, when you guys were growing up, We didn't have that. She's like, I think back to all of the family parties that we had. It's barbecue. There's beers. We're all hanging around. We're roughhousing in the pool. And my mom's like, "I, I don't understand. I was like, you didn't know. And what you don't know, you don't think. She's like, yeah, but that's crazy. And I'm like, you're not the only one that you have a barbecue, like you have beers and we're running around. So you have a great thing of having that designated pool watcher. 
What do you think of the things? My thing is at my grand, at my parents' home. And again, not that we're anything even in our home, but we have a gate. Our sliding door is 99% closed. If it's ever open, I'm usually aware of it. Now my parents, on the other hand, they have a pool, they have a gate, but it's not always up. And they're screen door is usually open. And it's always an anxiety of mine when my son goes over there, not too much when he's with my mom, but when he's with my dad, is that quintessential? Oh yeah, I'm always watching him. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm like trying to have those conversations and letting him know you could take seconds. But I had heard that there's something in Amazon that you could throw in the pool. And I guess if something of a certain weight goes into the pool, like it sets an alarm. So tell me, have you heard of those things? Are they gimmicks? Do they work? Because I thought of purchasing one for their home. Something is better than nothing, but mm. what happens is it, be, it also is a false sense of security. Mm. So if by chance they also get in the pool, it need, it's up to human failure. So if they don't, if they get in the pool and they don't turn it back on or, Correct. you know, yes. with the gate, they don't close it. So again, I think that with those type of things, just don't become completely dependent on it. You know what I mean? Because Things are up to human failure. It could yeah. not reset or because you have it in there and it's floating, let's say, and the leaves keep coming in and setting it off or a frog jumps in there and it sets it off. So they might turn it off. So I think mm. that all of those things could possibly happen and not that they're bad. It's a great thing to have. It's just another level or another layer of protection. But when you become dependent, mm-hmm. it's always human failure, like shutting that gate that day. It was my fault. You know what I mean? It was just like, I'll get back to that. We get busy doing this and this and this. So these, and I could give you a water safety kit the next time I see you maybe at the chamber or I can mail it to you, but these are the chimes that you could purchase at Home Depot or Lowe's just in general. And I know nobody could see this, but it's a window or door chime. And what they do is they attach with 3M tape and it has chime or it has an alarm. The Mm. alarm is one that will sound until that door shuts and the chime will just go beep and alert you, but it's quite loud no matter where you are in the home, because there's been circumstances where they lay their baby down for a nap, two-year-old, three-year-old down for a nap, let's say, and they go to jump in the shower. Next thing you get a shower, go check on the baby to see, they've been napping a bit. Let me go check. Baby never naps. The baby's at the bottom of the pool. (sighs) So again, this will alert you no matter what. It's just another layer. I think that this is something that could be temporary until the child knows enough not to go outside. And this might be something that might be better for your parents because they're not going to want to have that chime and they might have it loud and they might be like, ah, but this is so easy. It attaches with 3M tape, can take it right off next year when he gets over that point or when he fully learns how to swim. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to completely scare you away from the canal either, but I just think that going near the canal has to be like a no-no without mom or dad or yeah. grandma or grandpa, you know, just in making sure those conversations are talked about with your child to say, we want to have fun, but we want to be together. You know, if you want to go, you make sure you always come to us. Like when I ask people, like when we're doing like health fairs or different things and talking to kids, first thing you want to, what you want to do, like when you want to go swimming, what's the first thing you want to do? Well, I want to get sunscreen on, or I want to get my goggles, or I got to get my swimsuit. I'm like, no, <laughs> you go get mom or dad. You make sure you get mom or dad first before anything else. And that has to just be repetitive water, mom and dad or grandma, girl, whoever. Sure. No. And I wanted to mention the canal because we're in Florida, we're in South Florida. So we're surrounded by bodies yeah. of water and we don't have a gate because we just don't, the property's large enough. And the way it is, we just don't, we have a screened in patio, but even then to your point, 
I think you said the two toddlers, they broke this because yeah. they were enclosed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Correct. But I wanted to mention that because being in South Florida or, or anyone who listens to this, if you're surrounded by water, and I, I think that's key. I think having the conversation and just trying to be aware. And I think the super the supervision is key. You know, and my heart goes out to those who have multiple kids and maybe they're single moms or they're the only caregiver. And I think supervision is key with so many things, right? Like I said, I think as parents, we tend to play that Russian roulette game due to necessity, due to whatever that is. And it's not until you hear something that you're knowing that, oh shit, that could have happened. It's wow. I didn't think about that. I didn't imagine that could occur. What about, is it called dry drowning? Dry drowning is, or secondary drowning. Yeah. And I think that's at this point, more of a myth. It's not something that they even want to label anymore in essence. Uh, Okay. Because although it happens, I don't know, not that often, it's not a frequent thing that happens. And so what I always tell parents when they're worried about that, if they spent all day in the pool, six hours all day, it's just letting them swim or, and they seem like they ingested a lot. So it usually comes with some side effects. If that were to happen, they're lethargic, they have a raspy cough, they're throwing up, they have a fever. So if by chance, if any parent is concerned, I always say it's better safe than sorry go get them checked out. At Mm -hmm. least you'll know that you have peace of mind to do that. But it's something that doesn't really, it's not as common as most people think. I know that a couple of them were high profile people are like, oh my gosh, you know, you you lay them down and they're not going to wake up. It's not a common occurrence. And in the 12 years that I've been reviewing Florida specifically, it's never happened here. And so I think that better safe than sorry, if a parent is ever worried, it's worth going to get them checked out and have that peace of mind. And usually, like I said, it's the raspy cough, it's the throwing up, it's the fever, it's those things that are associated with it. mm -hmm. It's significant enough that you know, but again, it's not something that's common. And I know that they're trying to get away from that verbiage in some capacity, but I'm Mm -hmm. not going to pretend I'm a medical professional. All I always say to parents is definitely better safe than sorry, go get them checked out. But it's really that they have to ingest quite a lot for that to happen. With going back to like water surrounding everywhere, Florida does um, lead the states with the amount of drownings we have. And South Florida tends to lead the state with them as well, because that specific reason, there's canals, there's bodies of water absolutely everywhere. And almost every home has a pool, community pools as well. So currently, the state of Florida has lost 83 children to date for 2021. And these are all deaths. And we talk about non-fatals too. Non-fatals, CDC reports that for every one death, five children are impacted by a non-fatal injury, which means they were submerged. They needed to be resuscitated. And in most cases had to go to the hospital and they might even go to long-term care or have a lasting disability too. So our numbers are much larger than that. So it's a big problem. And then when we talk about, we're looking at children a lot, but Over the years that I was reviewing all of the deaths through the medical examiner's office in Broward alone, we lose anywhere from 60 to 80 individuals every year to drowning in Broward. So, and a lot of them are vehicle submersions and vehicle submersions are when your vehicle goes off the road and ends up in a body of water. And again, a death occurs in that capacity. And I know that's such a tough topic. Knowledge is power. It's just little nuggets of knowledge that you might be like, okay, well, I never thought about that. If this were to happen, hopefully it doesn't, I'll know what to do. Just understanding the risk factors is huge. 
that's one of my fears is the driving into submerged water because of the alligator alleys, because we are, and I've watched too much TV and too many movies. And I'm like, oh gosh, I mentioned the dry drowning because I remember Jaron and I, my husband and I, and we'd be in the pool. And if Chase kept going under and I'm like, all right, that's enough. Cause in my mind, and I'm thinking of that because to your point, yeah, there were a couple high profile cases and I was like, oh wow, yeah. now we have to worry about dry drowning or secondary drowning. So thank you for clarifying that. And to your point, yes, obviously still be cognizant, still be aware. You know, I don't want to limit that for me trying to teach my son to swim. And and if he's comfortable in and being like, no, because he's been in already for an hour, exactly. you know, we're exactly. in there. I don't. Okay. So tell me some of the specific programs and services that the McGovern Foundation offers and how people can find you to try and spread this word. Are you going to schools, things of that nature? Absolutely. First and foremost, we have a website, which is mcgovernfoundation.com. You're able to look at all the services and be able to request anything that you may need at that point. We're also on social media, which is Instagram and Facebook at McGovern Foundation. And services that we're providing, we just relaunched our website and all the work that we're doing since I left Department of Health. And I'm doing presentations to any group. I'll do presentations to any mom's group, any preschool, any homeowners association, any type of work group, trying to cater it to the audience in any capacity. That's what I specialize in is just making sure that people know the risk factors and what they could do to prevent it, as well as the resources that um, are available to them. I also have been pushing forward the water safety kits. Water safety kits can be purchased for a minimum donation of about $15 through the website. And what is in the, what the kits is a water watcher tag that we discussed earlier in this call, door chimes a magnet that has CPR information so that by chance, if you don't know CPR, at least it'll give you an overview as well as some other risk factors as far as why these layers of protections are so important and just what you can do to protect your families are in the kits. The bereavement component we have implemented this year, this summer as well is doing peer support groups. And the peer support groups are for any family that has suffered a loss. It doesn't have to necessarily be a child of course, that's our main focus because that's how we're relatable. And we haven't had any other people have come forward, whether they lost a cousin or grandmother or husband or a wife at this point, because we want the group to be relatable to whoever comes. So it's a safe spot for them to be able to express it on their level. We also have been providing bereavement boxes. And what those are is just a box full of just different levels of comfort a journal, a candle, a packet of seeds so that they could have a little butterfly garden in essence or plant a bush for that piece of it, a frame so they could put a picture of their loved one in it. When you lose somebody, you tend to want to put them in a box and deal with that pain on whenever you feel like dealing with that pain and open that box when you feel like it or close that box when you don't. That's not how grief works. And we want people to understand that you need to acknowledge it. It needs to be there. You need to talk about your loved one. It's a healthier way of going through the grief process. And so that's really what we want to also do. We are also focusing our energy on implementing a middle and a high school club, teaching teens to become water safety ambassadors. We worked on this in the past and we had it successfully run with about 450 to 500 students each year. So we're looking to do that and expand it on a statewide level. What we have found is if a parent doesn't know how to swim, in most cases, they're going to teach their children the same fear of the water. And so it's a cycle that we're going to try to break as far as just really reaching out to these students and letting them see the worth of being safe in and around the water. And then we have a yearly conference that we have invite all sorts of professionals to come and learn the risk factors, the resources, and what they could do to implement it into the workplace. But that's pretty much it. 
Wow. Get a full plate, but it's exciting because again, this topic is very heavy, you know, because you're trying to talk about preventing death. And so it yeah. is about death. And what we try to do is, for example, this week we have been doing booing. We've been booing people throughout the community with these little pumpkins that have candy and trinkets and toys and fun stuff, but it also has water safety information in there because we're trying to bridge that water safety topic with what's happening and what's relevant and what's fun. Cause it doesn't always have to be horribly depressing, yeah. you know? And I think that with us and my, myself specifically, when I stopped doing it so much as far as M and trying to make her death have meaning and now looking forward as far as trying to really save lives, then that's t- took on a whole nother life, you know? And I think that's what it's about ultimately trying to save lives. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You have a lot going on and in any way, shape or form that I can be of service, please let me know whether that means connecting with my son's preschool and whatever that is, then they can pass it to the parents at the school. Please let let me know. If you want that, then yeah, absolutely connect me because I'm open to doing any presentation to any group whatsoever. And I feel like the staff at a preschool or the kids at a preschool I feel like the staff is always a little bit better, or even if we get the parents there, because it's not up to the kids to keep the kids safe. It's up to the adults to keep the kids safe. And so I feel like the audience is always a little bit better when it's the staff or the parents or the caregivers more so than the babes. But if that's the only opportunity, then we'll definitely provide resources and that education to the kids too. Yeah. No. And I meant for the, the teachers to then tell mm-hmm. the parents, I know when we first went there, they had like a water prevention thing that we had to sign, but I think that's what the state gives. And there was a topic there, but I think, yeah, I, I just think that it, it's one of these things that it has to be repetition. Like I said, we got it when he first started. I didn't think about it twice again. Well, I feel like there's certain things for it to touch. You have to have that seven touches for you to fully connect. You yes. have to have it the seven touches as far as this for you to fully say, okay, yeah, I did see that. Or I did hear that. I do want to share one thing and it's not necessarily what our foundation does. Our program within the health department provided a drowning prevention education to, to the county, but it was funded by the Children's Services Council of Broward. For those of you, you that live in Broward, your listeners that live in Broward, Children's Services Council funds a swim coupon for any child that lives in Broward County, six months to five years of age. But because of COVID, they've extended it to the age of eight. Oh, wow. And so any parent that um, has a child six months to the age of eight can apply for a swim coupon to get one session of lessons every single year. No strings attached, no nothing. All you have to do is visit www.watersmartbroward.org and it will say youth coupon on there. And on the youth coupon portion of it, you put in your child's name, your birthday and the address, and they'll mail you a coupon good for one session of lessons every single year. So again, that's a huge asset that not a lot of parents understand. And it's a blessing for our county to be able to have that because not all counties have that resource. And what they also have addressed this past year is opening it up to caregivers. If caregivers don't know how to swim, they're going to keep those kids away from the, the water. And so there's a caregiver coupon on there. And that caregiver coupon could be grandma or it could be grandpa or it could be aunt, whoever's in the home taking care of the kids to be able to help that. And so I really encourage anybody to take that resource on it and sign up for those lessons and get that one session of lessons. And that's about six to eight lessons. It's not just one lesson. It's a really great resource. No, it is. Think of communities that can't afford swim lessons because they aren't 
cheat. That's awesome. Thank you for mentioning that. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about? I can talk all day long when it comes to water safety. I can't help it. But thank you so much for sharing our story. Hopefully people will learn from our story and implement different things that they could do. It's not, it's not something that I want to leave on a note where you have to be afraid. You know, usually your intuition is the right thing. I think that just little pieces that you might not have thought about, try to be a little bit safer within the home, especially when it's related to water. For sure. Being cognizant, being aware, having the supervision a hundred percent. Now let's get into my speed round of my quick get to know Casey. What is your favorite book? I'm going to probably make myself sound a little bit sappy, but Nicholas Sparks is my absolute favorite author. And I think that I'd have to, well, two books, The Notebook. I just love it so much. And it's just, I could read it over and over again and just go back to it. But then I also, The Shack is also a biblical book. I don't know if you've heard of it. I also really love that one. And I've read that a few times. Love it. No, I can see why it's so, yeah, Nicholas Sparks is, yeah, no, he's awesome. What's your favorite movie or current show you're binge watching? If you have time. Yes. Yep. Yep. My favorite movie is Pursuit of Happiness. And again, oh. I, I like things that are sad, but I like things that are real. And I think that in a moment's notice, any of our lives could go that way. I just, I think it's so powerful. One of the binge shows that we watch, I can't think of anything. I, we watch a lot because what we usually do with, Ta- with Taylor, we have to watch Kid Friendly. So we're actually <laughs> binge watching Hartley Heart- if you've ever heard of it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. right now. But we also watch other things that are a little more off color or more colorful. Yeah. Um, but yeah, okay. we we watch a lot of different series and we binge through them all the way that I can't think of anything right now. But <laughs> partly okay. it's the one we're watching currently. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Who makes up your village? Oh, who makes up my village? I have to say, we don't have a lot of family here other than my sister. My brother lives locally, but he does his own thing. He's a single guy. So okay. my sister and I, my sister and I prayed for a group of beautiful ladies and just so happened that from our church, when Em's incident occurred, it just solidified our friendship. So our group is like about nine to 10 ladies, and I'm probably the second to the youngest of the group, but they are incredible ladies that lift you up, walk the walk, and just are there for you on an everyday basis and enjoy them. Absolutely. A lot of wisdom comes from them. We're all happily married. We all have kids. We all put our families first, and that's very important. That's awesome. What's the favorite item in your home? I think my new favorite thing, um, instead of going back in the sappy thing, my pe- my Peloton. Oh. My husband got me a Peloton um, back in about March or April, and I love it. Really? Is it lives up to the height? I love it. I love it. Yeah, I really love it. I have to say that when he got it, I was like, "Why spend the money? We don't need this. I could go. I go to the gym." But having to not leave your home and go, but then have the most amazing workout, it's incredible. I like it. As long as you use it and you don't put it like hanging your laundry all over it. I probably use it about five days a week. And um, you. you can do all of these different exercises. You could do your arms. You could do yoga. You could do strength training. You could do like just meditation, all of it. Yeah. I think that my Peloton is probably my favorite. I was going to say my great grandmother's China cabinet because that's been passed down. And when my mom passed, I inherited that. But that's again, more sappy and it's great. If you could travel anywhere in the world right now, where would it be? We just got back from Vermont. I probably, it's such a weird thing. I'd probably go back to Vermont, New Hampshire area because my grandbaby is up there and we have 
three dads. I have two dads up there, my stepdad and my biological dad. And Shannon's dad, which is my husband's dad, is not doing very good health-wise. And so I would just go up there and be able to just be. I know that I could go anywhere, which is a dream. But I think that life is so short. I think that I would just go and be able to just be and be present with them for as long as I can, because we're not promised tomorrow. We don't know how much longer we have with our loved ones. And at this point in my life, I feel like that's the most important piece of it. For sure. No, that's beautiful. What has motherhood taught you? Have a lot of patience. It's a never ending job. I still worry no matter what, but it's, I was born to be a mom. I was born to be a mom and my kids my universe, I know it's not supposed to be this way, but circles around them. And I find joy in every stage. What's my favorite stage of my kids? Every stage, because they just keep changing. I love the infant smelling, but I also just love having conversations with them as they get older too. I I just think that it's a blessing to be a mother. And I'm really grateful for all of my kids and the experiences that we have. But And now being a grandma, I'm sure that's a whole new level. It's surreal. It's a surreal feeling. It really is. And I always worried about my Allie because she was such at a pivotal point when those two severe losses happened. And to see her be a mom, it's incredible. It's really an incredible feeling. And I'm just so proud of her. That's awesome. Any other final thoughts to the podcast world before we sign off? I just want to thank you. I want to thank (laughs) you for seeing the need. I thank you for seeing that this education has to get out there and sharing it. So I'm really grateful for you um, for having me. Thank you so much, Casey, for coming on, for sharing your truth, for sharing your journey, for being so open and honest and vulnerable with it. And for the work that you're doing as well of keeping Edna May's story or M, her story and her spirit and who she was alive and also helping other parents and really bringing the word out there. So thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining me this week on the Mamas Know Best, We Got Something to Say podcast. This podcast has been brought to you by our sponsor, NGC Consulting, where you can find them at NicoleGConsulting.com. For more motherhood resources, check out TheMotherhoodVillage.com. Make sure to subscribe to our show so you'll never miss an episode. And if you found value in this episode, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or recommendation to a friend works too. And join us next time for another amazing conversation. Continued blessings to you all for love and light.